Wisdom builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. Now, the reason that verse was in my mind is the second verse from Proverbs 9, which was the next verse from what we covered last week. We were in Proverbs 8. We ended with the last verse of Proverbs 8, Proverbs 9, 1. Wisdom has built her house. It's a famous verse. She has set up her seven pillars. Those of you who are history buffs or whatever, T.E. Lawrence's seven pillars of wisdom, uh, his story of the his leading of the Arab revolt. So we recognize certain phrasings. Um, and just as you see what's coming down there at the bottom, Proverbs 24, by wisdom a house is built. There's slight differences in each one. Wisdom builds, wisdom has built, by wisdom, a house is built. I don't make too much distinction about parsing the sentence. But it seems that at least as an image, um, wisdom is about home building. At least as a part of the metaphor. We, we were talking last week um, about whether Sophia, since God expresses or she expresses herself in the a personal nature, an agent, uh, uh, whether or not she's a metaphor or whether she's a true agent. A lot of you were curious about that. I was talking to Drew later the day, I think, and probably the sermon that I got the most response on in 30, 40 years of being a pastor is the one where I suggested that Sophia may be an actual agent, um, that a person. And everybody wanted to talk about that. But we know that, as we pointed out in the sermon, I wasn't affirming that. It's just saying that's one of the options. The other is a metaphor. And the house metaphor, wisdom, whatever you take wisdom to be, whether someone or a pattern of being, is about home building. Now, as I spend my time doing thinking stuff, thinky stuff, I come up with conclusions about basic concepts. And I think I've shared this with you before. Someone, you know, why do we sleep? And I came up with, we sleep that we, we might have a place to sleep. Grasshopper. And the reason you have a house is because you sleep. It's maybe been a cave originally. But you have a house that you can go to sleep and nothing molest you. The rain wouldn't rain on you. The saber-toothed tiger wouldn't chew your leg off. Whatever stuff happens at night when you're asleep, when you can't defend yourself. You build houses because in this world, the chaos and the futility is constantly attempting to kill you. Guess what? It's going to win. It will kill you. Now, some of us are closer to that moment. But my father, you know, he's in his 90s. And he's the closest. But as soon as he goes to be with the Lord, you suddenly go, hey, we're next. We're the next generation that's supposed to be just dropping off. We know you can't, we can't get out of here alive. 
And so what are we doing? Well, what we're doing is we're, we're looking around. There's a clock, just sort of a peripheral vision, ticking off how long it's till you're dead. And then your mother comes along and say, let's celebrate your birthday. So it makes a loud noise every time you go past another year. And I think that's probably why you stop celebrating birthdays at about 25, is because they're going by faster, like the ticking of a train track, and you know that you're going to run into the station, leap the tracks, and just plunge into a gorge or something. We know this is coming. We have a task of building a house. It's not just a a physical house. Older, timey people would speak of the house of David, right? God was building the house of David into the Messiah. Dynasties. Some of you are working on your dynasty. The, The whites are about ready to start their dynasty. Some of you are way ahead. We know that we're facing a futile circumstance. Um, I don't know if any of you are in building. I know Brendan's in building. Anybody else besides in construction? The only, you're in construction? Well, you're building your house right now, right? Well, you're making Calvin build it. But <coughs> now, when you, build, when you build something, I don't know if you ever look at, maybe this is true with cars. I don't, did cars go through a change, Scott? where they stop being made like tanks and sort of being made like they just fall apart. They crack and fiberglass bodies and things like that. You ever look at modern houses? I live in an old house. I look at those modern houses in the subdivisions and they tack up this something like lap siding, but it isn't. And in 10 years, it'll be cracked, discolored, faded. When you build a house, if you build a house, if you ever get that opportunity, you want to build it, not because you can avoid futility, but you want to outstrip it. You want to have your house fall to dust after you're dead. That's All you're doing is timing. That's how we face the futility in this world, is we're trying to make arrangements about how it hurts us so we have the best possible Existence. Then we, as Christians, we're we're laying the groundwork for treasures in heaven. And we know, just like the unbelievers, our bodies are still dead because of sin. We are going to die like everyone else. And so we want wisdom to guide this life. Wisdom straightens out what's bent or broken in this life. Not to the point of stopping futility, but having you do the dance with futility more beneficially. Now, as you go through life also, you're going to have friends, probably dear friends, Christian friends, who are in the business of destroying their house. Just uh, the, the image right there, but folly with her own hands tears it down. That's, uh, that is, that's just a, a tragic phrasing. We actually, instead of contributing to the ordering of chaos so that we might do a better dance with it so that the futility doesn't hurt so much, 
some people walk into the middle of their life and start tearing the wallpaper off the walls. They start applying folly to life and it starts to blow up. Now, whatever you build as a home, you could be a bad home builder, modern materials, going to pieces immediately. It's not that it's not a house. I mean, it's got a roof on it. Um, and you can make it a home, right? One of the things about a home, um, and I've, I think I've mentioned this a few times in church, that, that I consider home to be the obedience of place, that why you don't feel quite at home in a motel room. They're working really hard to make you feel comfortable, but it's not the obedience of place. The place is not obedient to you. It's obedient to Marriott and all the staff that are doing things um, are doing it Marriott's way to try to be good and hospitable, but feeling at home, to feel at home, it has to be obedient to you. That's why when you know where your toothbrush is, your hairbrush, you know how to turn the handles on the bathtub just right to get the right mixture of hot and cold. That obedience of place makes it feel like home. Now, home is not a virtue because the obedience of place, you've seen the hoarders show, right? You know what it can get like and a person feel absolutely, I mean, that's why it's that way. It's obedient to what they have to have there. And we've dealt, Leslie and I, with our family, uh, hoarders and a hoarder, and, and uh, it was decided. It was picked. It wasn't life got away from them. Some people are a mess because they can't keep up. Other people are a mess because they choose to be a mess. And that is an obedience of the place in their life. Maybe when you young ladies finally are out there shopping for a young man and you, then you get that horrifying realization of how he lives. Let's just assume that you're a, a delicately nurtured young lass. Your mother taught you how to cook. You keep a nice apartment. This guy looks good at church, combs his hair, bathes. But then you see his apartment and it's like shredded up newspaper in the corner and a dry cheese that he just lives in like a gerbil cage because that's the way he likes it. I don't have to think about anything. I don't have to make a bed when it's just shredded up newspaper. It makes you think about a nunnery, <laughs> vows of chastity, who needs men? So we know that there's a wide range. Don't think that those signs out at Moscow Building Supply or Michael's or Bed Bath & Beyond that celebrate home and celebrate family as if they were virtues. It's what you do with them. It's how you, what did you bring into obedience and what was the obedience that they, the law they followed. And that's what I got from this passage. I'm sort of giving it away. Because you can, you ever have to steal the blanket from your child and secretly, because it is disgusting, wash it? 
then give it back to them so that they might once again for six, seven months slobber all over it until it is a stiff and crusty piece of disease and you still have to steal it because it is home to them. Verse 1 of chapter 9, wisdom has built her house. She has set up her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her maids to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who is without sense, she says, come eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave simpleness and live. Walk in the way of insight. We learned last week that wisdom, Sophia, was the first of all of God's creations. Everything in this world hangs together because she guided the creation of God, whether she is a metaphor or she is an agent. And the reason we seek wisdom is because there is an architect, a plan, a schematic throughout the world in nature and in reason and in the revelation of God that tells you how it's built. The recipe, how she cut up the meat. What is the cocktail of the wine she is making? She's got a mixed wine. She has, and I know women care about this a lot. You know, you get that. My daughter is, you know, every, every day there's 17 packages from Crate and Barrel landing on our porch. Some of them plates. Just the nice china that every woman believes, I think, they don't go to heaven unless they get china. So that your, 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 your place settings at Christmas and Thanksgiving will look good. Because setting your table matters. It's a wisdom. But that's, you know, you, whether it's a metaphor or not a metaphor, whether she is a she somewhere, somehow, or not, she is in charge of everything that is. And so when she says, I have a recipe, I have a drink I'd like to offer you, I have food I'd like to cook for you, I have a table I have set for you, maybe you'd like to stop by and have a drink, have a bite to eat. You realize home where you feel the most comfortable, the house that you have built, the architect that designed it, um, the code, the building code you were under that insisted that you, you deal with this. You realize it is a matter of choosing and it can be absolutely the same circumstance and absolutely good and bad. Because what's not wonderful about Proverbs 9, and Proverbs 9 is that end of the first nine chapters of Proverbs that has this intro panegyric to wisdom before the actual wisdom literature has gotten into. And this is the last chapter. Now, <clears throat> 
she has got <clears throat> building code. She has got an she's an architect. She is an event planner. She she knows recipes of things, and I'm not I'm not recommending recipes. Recipes are sort of that down here in the shadow cast on the wall by Ultimate Concepts. That's what a recipe is. A recipe is your combination of things that you understand. And when you know what tastes go together, you know what spices to put in something. Well, that's your task in life, that you understand this that's going on around you, the, all the material, all the people, all the relationships. Do I know what marriage is? Do I know what raising a child is? Do I know the good that God has made in this world by wisdom? And she advertises. She's got PR going. She's got servants that go up to the high places of the town and have a jingle that they sing. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. The jingle is food for the stupid. And it's really for the stupid. It's whoever is simple, let him turn in. Whoever is without sense, she says, come eat of my bread. Now the difference, it's not just a... Um, um, it's not just a, uh, um, an advocacy for what wisdom is going to do in your life. Proverbs 9, 1 through 6, wisdom has built her house. Jump down to verse 13. A foolish woman is noisy. She is wanton and knows no shame. Think of that. There's cacophony. chaos, unrestrained, that's what wanton is, unrestrained by anything, shameless. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the high places of the town, just like the servants of wisdom went to the high places of the town. Both of them have a house. Both of them have a message. Both of them have a posture in your society. Calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way, whoever is simple, let him turn in here. Same message. Exactly the same. Both of them are bold. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. If the high place of your town, the place you function the world in which you're trying to carve a house out of, order to the chaos of life, try to outsmart the futility at least long enough to raise a family. There are two houses, two women saying the same thing. Now the difference is, it describes them slightly differently. It goes on to say, and to him who is without sense, she says, just like in verse 4, to him who is without sense, she says. Wisdom says, come, eat of my bread. 
come, eat of my bread. The foolish woman says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasure. Pleasant. We have homes that we're trying to live in, or we are going to live in, as the world slowly kills you. The question is, are you going to be smiling throughout, rejoicing throughout? Or is it going to be the chaos of the foolish woman? It's going to be marked by that chaos. I mean, that's the nature of it. It's noisy. A loud woman. A wanton woman. You don't get to use that word very often. She's a wanton. It means that she doesn't... Uh, you know, honor her womanliness with grace or honor um, or righteousness. It's given out her favors as well as easily as she could. And that's the image of the foolish woman through the first nine chapters. She is a woman who's given it away. Because she is not just, it's not just Sophia is a metaphor, the foolish woman is a metaphor. It's a more direct metaphor because. Sin lies close at hand. When I live close to this, it's not the arrangement of life by wisdom. It is the living of sin uh, of the person who is just serving urge. That's what the foolish woman is doing. She's saying, you know, even personal property, stolen water is sweet. Personal property, not a big rule. We don't, we don't follow rules around here. We're, we're after our, you know, get after your bliss. Find it. And if it's somebody else's water, take it because it's sweet. You'll enjoy it. So what I want you to think about in terms of not, not just from last week where we say wisdom is the rules for everything. It is the practicality, whereas righteousness or understanding is the knowledge of it. Wisdom is the pragmatics. How do I live in this? And it is a recipe that produces a certain thing, whereas the foolish woman, there's no recipe, there's just do what you want. Do what you would. Follow your urge. Now, when you have... Uh, The stupid in both cases, the simple, those without sense, both being offered something. It's difficult. You're not going to get, let's be frank, you're not going to get a great response to wisdom, partly because of the audience. They don't understand the satisfaction of the well-arranged life in God. And it's much easier just to wait for your urge to come along well, I don't, wanna, I don't want anything now. I'm just not hungry yet. Because as soon as you're hungry, do any of you uh, can imagine yourself murdering somebody for food? Like those Snicker bar commercials. You're not yourself when you're, when you're hungry. It's amazing how much 
We were talking. We were talking the other night with the whites about some of the scripture passages where women in siege situations would be eating their children because they're hungry. You just sort of what? Well, you just haven't been hungry. We don't want to be the kind of people whose decisions in life are whether or not my urge is met. That's all the foolish woman hangs out there. She's not making any recipes. She's got no fancy cocktails of drinks that are going to be nice for you and beneficial for you and a, and a circumstance that is more and more civilized in your religion. It's going to be less and less. So just, just come on in and we'll do what you want. What do you want? How do you serve yourself? This is about how do we react. Um, it's not just whether or not you're willing. Last week you say, well, I haven't had so much homework. I don't want to have to try to understand the universe. Okay, I can understand that. But the more we understand about why, what is good in this life, and how God provides it to us. Not because we're health and wealth sort of people, because this provision happens to the poor man, the sick man, the downtrodden as well through wisdom. He has different things to understand than the rich man does, but he understands them. And what's some of the basic things when you have a difference between someone who is um, about urge and about someone else's arrangement? It's wisdom and God's arrangement that is coming into your life that you go, I'm seeking this. I'm going to go into wisdom's house because she is offering me something outside myself, not myself. Whereas the foolish woman is offering me to come into her house that I might take what I want, when I want it, how I want it no matter who has to pay. Secret bread, stolen water. And realization that you have in you not enough, what I call inertial force. You can have enough inertial force in yourself to create a completely wrecked human being. Okay? Your desires, natural, God made them. If that's all you got, you're going to wreck it. It's going to be, like I said, a hoarder or a meth lab in your life because You've only got your urges to work with and satisfying of your urges to work with. And that's the only reward. And to, to in, incre incrementally increase the reward of your urges, you've got to violate more and more other people. You've got to destroy more and more lives to get at what you want. You have to steal the bread or the wine, or the water in this case. You've got to steal that. You've got to break up somebody's marriage. You've got to destroy people's faith. You've got, to, you, you've got to be in a knife fight to keep your way. And your way 
is just going to create chaos. You do not know that the dead are there and her guests are in the depths of shale. You don't know where you checked in. We all like the song Hotel California. I assume you all like the song. But that's sort of that meditation of the eagles on California being this sort of place. You can check out, but you can never leave. Stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. That's back when they wrote lyrics for songs. I don't know if you've heard of that. But. The dead are there. You don't have enough. I've said this for years here, so I, I, but I'll repeat myself. We're too dumb to run our own lives. And when the simple, that's us, the people without sense, that's us, don't have enough to run life in a successful way, we need to find a place other than myself outside of me. I need to pursue something, and I need to submit to something. Now, saying this is, is, is not good enough. I mean, I, we, we say things all the time. I mean, the book of Proverbs has been read by far more people than have been wise. It didn't make them wise. But I hope that each of you, because of what I skipped over, verses 7 through 12, we know now that Proverbs 9 is bookends wisdom and folly as women designing your home. Okay? And they're singing the same song to you in your need for direction, for designing your house. And one is going to sing to you of a recipe, and one is going to sing to you of your urge that you will do more easily because it's an urge. It's ready at hand. It serves you. Now, going back, you see in 7 through 12, kind of the necessary mind distinction that you want to check yourself. You already know. You already checked yourself and said, yeah, I think wisdom is good. Yeah, I think I ought to be. Yeah, I should put more time into it. You know, And somehow, still chaos. He who corrects a scoffer gets himself abused. And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So it's, it's just describing something between these bookended descriptions of houses being built and, you might say, evangelism being carried out by both wisdom and folly, two women... It gives you distinctions between a wise man and a fool. 
There'll be the distinctions about whether or not you go the way that you know you ought to towards wisdom or whether you're going to live your life by folly. How do you react? How do you react to correction? Do you want to punch him in the face? This political climate currently, you know, whatever, whatever side you're on, there are people screaming at one another. Otherwise, polite people were given permission to be impolite, and so they were. They abuse. They injure. You tell them to stop it, and they hate you. But if you tell a wise man that, since his value, this is how you tell the difference. The value, if it's in you, you resent you being told this is wrong, this is unwise, this is foolish. It's an insult to you, the greatest being in your cosmos. If you're benefit in life, if you've decided your benefit in life has to have inertial force outside of you, has to go find a target goal other than in Evan or other than whatever your name is, when somebody announces something to you that might be wiser than what you've been, you rejoice in it because you have become more right. You've become closer to what is true because you've decided that the benefit is outside of you rather than the benefit inside of you. In verse 10, it lets you know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You all know that verse. These are not just... Um, what are they called, platitudes that we all can quote that you could buy at a big poster at Bed Bath & Beyond. This is um, what it takes to get from the, you might say the absolute cad, the tool, the person who just living for their urge, as you have got to stop Not just look at whether you're a wise or a fool. Let's just assume we all were fools. And until you bow the knee, until you fear God, you will not even begin to understand this other. Until you you know, the, uh, confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you will not be saved. Because the fear of the Lord is the humbling of self, and that's the only challenge to what God wants in you. And now God wants a good life in you, not just a moral life and another soul to take to heaven. He wants your life to be blessed. He wants to do good to you. He wants you to live as close to the life he intended when he created the world in your life as you can. He knows there's wickedness and evil people that are going to destroy it, but... He wants the best he can give you in this fallenness. And uh, me to understand that, I have to bow the knee to him. 
it's the hardest thing. Hardest thing. We were talking about forgiveness last night with people in the library. And I think Lewis pointed out that everybody likes forgiveness until they have something to forgive. Everybody likes to talk about Everybody loves to be forgiven. Nobody likes to give forgiveness. Same is true with submission. I was talking to an unbeliever a number of months ago. He said, this is about submission, isn't it? I said, yes, it is. He said, I'm not ready. Yeah. Let me know when you are. This is about submission. This is about do the joints in your knees work? Can you fall on your face before God, fear of him, overwhelming you is the beginning of you knowing how the universe is structured. Remember, God made this world with the aide de camp called Sophia guiding him in everything he did, and you're over here acting like a fraternity brother, that all you have to do is consider the price of Keystone. That's the only thing in your world that has to be considered. Have you fallen on your knees yet? Can you tell the difference between yourself? Do you react negatively when you get corrected? Or do you go, huh? I remember going to my father years ago. We had a ministry to druggies and such. And one of them was, was, took umbrage at Evan and described Evan to Evan in unflattering terms, we'll just say. I went to my father. <laughs> chuckling to myself. Father, do you know what so-and-so said about me? I related it. My father, no help at all. He said, you know, sometimes God has to use the worst possible source. You better pay attention to what he says. Dad, I'm your son. We have to learn. How do we take it? We go, oh, yeah. I'll, 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 check, I'll check that. My gosh, that'd be awful if I was that way. That'd be awful if I was bitter. That'd be awful if I was angry. That'd be awful if I was uh, a, a lustful pervert, whatever it is you are. Have you realized what it is to fear the Lord? It's the beginning of things. You begin to see a change in your life. When you came to Christ and you fell on your knees and you confessed the gospel and Jesus Christ as Lord, the change was pleasurable. It wasn't just move you on a list in heaven in the cloud and God's record keeping up there. He's okay, you're not over here anymore, you're over here. You felt it, you enjoyed it, you knew what kind of person you had become. And that continues as your days, verse 11, will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Because remember this passage that I quote too often, verse 12, if you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. This is about you. This is not about our church. This is not about my doctrinal affiliation, your doctrinal affiliation. This is not about movements. This is not about the history of the church. This is about you. What you believe, did you humble yourself before God? Did you fear him? Did you begin to learn wisdom? Have you continued to accept the correction and the recipe and the good drinks from wisdom? 
It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, oppressed or otherwise. This is a matter of whether or not you understand your world. A person who's poor can understand what's going on. A person who is oppressed can understand what's going on. They can be wise. They can process this. They're not living by urge. And a person who is wealthy and a good life, they also can live by wisdom. They can also live by urge. This is about something that is kind of an ultimate question. When yourself is everything to you and you have not bowed the knee, when you haven't listened to wisdom, you haven't looked at the recipe, self is the only thing that urge operates on and self is the thing rewarded. It's an immediate sensual satisfaction. It's willing to steal. It's willing to be a cannibal. You know, you, it's amazing what people will do when there, it's a line is drawn. You don't get your urge. You don't get that money or you don't get what you want. Now, Proverbs 24, I threw it here at the end. By wisdom, a house is built. This is a, the passage we use, Leslie and I, for our bloodline child-rearing seminar because this is what we think thinking about child-rearing is about. By wisdom, a house is built. By understanding, it is established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Uh, order, whatever path you're on, whatever circumstance you found yourself in, the order of God, the wisdom of God makes it all a lot better. Oh yes, wicked men could still shoot you dead on the street. Wicked men killed the Christ. <laughs> so, you know, don't think it can't happen. We're not saying that everything is hunky-dory, but God is laboring to have it be hunky-dory for you. God is laboring to have you be at peace in your poverty, to be at peace in your wealth, to be at peace in your sickness, because he's bringing the order of wisdom. Because if I had to have the order of satisfaction in order to have a good life, I'm just saying I worship at the doors of folly. Folly is the one that rewards your sensation. If you have to be well and rich, you're just saying, I'm going to stop at that foolish woman's. She's screaming my language. I, I have my urges met there. Have you learned to be tranquil when people object to phrases like, count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet various trials? Well, you can't be expected to be joyful all the time. If you can only expect yourself to be joyful when things are going good for you, you're just one of the fools. You're one of the simple that turned in at the stolen bread stand because you only conserve your urge. But if you understand how the world is and be forgiving to the person who's oppressing you because... There's no one to comfort them. It's your wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that will fill rooms filled with pleasant and precious riches. And again, it's not a 
health and wealth because it's the opposite. God comes back and maybe will touch you with a greater stability and life and health and all the rest. We don't, that's not what it's serving. We, we had to step aside from that wanting. We had to step aside from that. We are marching along, it's like the image it says, um, calling to those who are going straight on their way. Here you are, good Johnny citizen, good Christian prig, and you're off to the, your church youth group Bible study, whatever it is, you're walking in a straight line, and she's standing there going, hey, big boy, have you thought about your urges? And actually, too many Christians are waiting for God to fulfill their urges. They want to just replace this wanton woman with God filling their urges. Find out if you can be in Christ. If your knee bent before God himself puts you in a place where you hear correction, you understand your universe, it starts to fall into order because you have followed wisdom. You know what the seven pillars are. Ever wondered what the seven pillars were? It seems like a really odd number for pillars. You think six, eight, now some even more. I don't think, you, there's nothing in the Bible about it. But meditate on it. What are the seven pillars that you would understand and welcome? Our urges can be met in submission to God. He get, we gave up things for the kingdom. He gives them back to you. But he gives them back to you in service to him. This is a matter of whether or not you serve wisdom or folly. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for the goodness of your wisdom, whether she is a metaphor or she is someone, Lord. We'd ask that you would uh, bless us in understanding what she contributed to your creation, that we would understand that in our submission to you, we would find your design and the tranquility in it. That we can face anything because of your son and your wisdom and our submission. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.